Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Mark. I'm Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry. And I'm Lena. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, give us all those five stars, and share with your friends. What are we talking about? Angels. <laughs> yeah. Again. We're talking angels. Systematic yeah, we theology. We can't do anything just one, part one. It's no. got to be no. part 80. <laughs> point seven. Yeah. <laughs> So we're, yeah, we're talking systematic theology and we're in the section right now on the spiritual realm. And so this includes things like angelology, Satanology, demonology. And so we started with angels last time. And so, yeah, this is another part. Um, so we, we talked about some of the scriptural witness or the biblical data and evidence on them and that not only do they exist, but that they're actually a major part of God's creation. And they show up a lot more in the Bible than we realize yeah yeah so and we we said that the the physical realm is just one aspect of god's creation um and so we we tend to think that that's all there is because it's where we live and it's what we inhabit but the truth is there's a whole lot of things going on in the spiritual dimension that we can't see or touch or feel um but having said that uh just because it's it's not physical that doesn't mean that it's it's not created nor that it wasn't somehow included in the six days of creation in Genesis, as we talked about last time. So we talked about scripture occurrences, key terms that are used when describing angels, and then of course the creation of angels. And so we're going to keep going. All right. So let's deal then with, hang on here, I got to clear my throat. throat) Sorry about that. So we're going to talk about then the characteristics of an angel, right? They are first of all, personal beings. Beings. Oh my God. Oh, I am. My brain is tired, folks. Anyhow, they are personal beings. You didn't have your steak tonight. I didn't have sleep. Um, Everyone, leave me alone. I'm found out recently. I'm old, not middle aged. So it's okay. Middle of preaching a sermon. That's a a realization. It is what it is. Anyhow, they're personal beings. Uh, and we can see that in, in various ways, like they demonstrate uh, intelligence. Um, and you can see that in like Psalm 148, verse 2, where they worship and are praising uh, God. And on all that just shows intelligence uh, because the presumption is that they're praising God for something and that they, the only way you can do that is if you know something. So in that, we can make the conclusion that these are personal. Right. Uh, we see him having perception in Matthew eight ten. Uh, they they evidence speech in John twenty verse thirteen. We see them express curiosity in First Peter one twelve. Uh, they're also uh, one of my favorite words, emotive beings, uh, meaning they show emotion. Uh, in Luke fifteen ten, they are expressing joy, uh, whereas in Revelation twelve seventeen, they express anger. Yeah. Um, they exercise a will. Second Peter two four and Jude nine. Um, oh, well, go uh, and and they also are seen to contain a moral responsibility, such as Matthew twenty five forty one, 
in all that, we're not quoting all those because it, it's a lot of quoting just to find out that we're not lying to you. If you really want yeah. to, you can look these up, just slow down the tape or whatever it is you use. Yeah, yeah. And there's usually a lot more. There's a, there's many verses that support these. Sure. We're just giving one. But yeah, we can yeah put them in show notes when we get those. Um, next, they, they appear to be deathless in some kind of physical existence. So for this Luke 20 verse 36, um, for they, and it's speaking there in context of, of the resurrected people at that resurrection of all things, mm -hmm. cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. And so just a, a clear reference that angels yeah. in some sense don't die. Right. And then on the other side, they also don't procreate. Uh, so in Mark 12, 25, for when they rise from the dead, they, the resurrected people, neither marry or are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So yeah. we enter into a different realm of existence and relationship. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean they can't procreate. Would you agree? No. Uh, I mean, yes, I do agree. In fact, that's part of our, did we get into the sons of God? Mm. On a podcast, or did we get into it? Uh, I can I never keep my sermon. I think we did too. Yeah, I think maybe. we did. Yeah, well, we're probably going to get into it again. Well, we point. will because yeah. yeah, but I preached on it too, so I can never keep myself yeah. straight. I remember but, talking about spirits and how that's always evil spirits. That's true. I think we talked about that in the podcast. Yeah, rings a bell. All right. Uh, so yeah, they don't procreate, but also they contain special powers. Um, so they are said, for instance, to excel in wisdom, 2 Samuel 14, 17, and 20. And what's interesting about that passage, I won't read it, but um, the angels are being spoke of well. They, they have uh, a very respectable reputation in the mind of, of these ancient people. So they're known to excel in wisdom. Uh, they're also said to excel in strength in places like Genesis 19.11, or uh, that they're said to excel in speed in Daniel 9.21. Daniel is filled with some strange angelology, demonology kind of stuff. So yeah. we'll deal with them quite a bit. But the Daniel 9, you want to read that? Sure. While I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. So, so Gabriel wasn't on his way. All of a sudden, he begins to pray, and bam, he he's there. Yeah. Um, so that's characteristics of angels. Then we have these, uh, what we're just going to call appearance of angels. Um, but this is important because yeah. you get some. I was just double checking myself. Um, you you look at guys like uh, Bill Johnson out of Reading, uh, Todd Bentley, mm -hmm. um, some of these other real sketchy individuals, They're, they always involve angels somehow mm. or another. And mm. it's always completely contrary to what you're going to read here about how the Bible describes what they look like. So Yeah, a lot of bizarre stuff out there. Yeah, um, But typically, at least if you're going to examine the biblical evidence, um, they're invisible to the human eye. That's just the nature of them. They, they, they inhabit the spiritual realm. Now, how that intersects with the physical realm is not exactly known to us and how that works itself out. Um, but in some capacity, they are among us. They are inhabiting our spaces in a non-physical way. So that one gets... that Hard to... 
that cranks on your mind a little bit. It's a little yeah. complex. It doesn't crank a little. It does a lot for me. <laughs> um, but but the point to understand, though, is that they are invisible to the human mind or eye in their, their natural state. At, at the same time, though, when they're visible, they typically appear in human form. Right. Um, they appear, like in Revelation 22, 8, to be similar size to men, um, or they're perceived as well, they're always perceived as men or male, right? Not little cute babies, mm-hmm. um, never a female, um, as, and also s- sometimes their clothing or attire is described as very bright and shiny. They're very impressive right. creatures, yeah. is right. the point. To the point that, like John, fell at their feet to worship, yeah. yeah, and had to be rebuked. Mm-hmm. Poor guy. Uh, yeah, other times they're described as having wings and able to fly. Now, when talking about angels, it is helpful to make a distinction between visions of angels and then appearances of mm-hmm. angels. Um, so, when a person's caught up in a vision, um, they're often said to see angels and various classes of angels in their non-human form, and and it's in this non-human form where these angelic creatures are seen to have wings. Um, but when an angel appears to a person in time, space, and history in the earth, they're then seen in a human form. They don't uh, appear with wings. And that's an Which, interesting. It is. Yeah. It's it, it's a cool little distinction there. Yeah. Um, and even so, and we talked about this last time, but they're always in human form because in Hebrews thirteen twelve it says that sometimes you know you may end up showing mm-hmm. hospitality yeah. or entertaining angels, and then the key phrase in not knowing it. Yeah. So they just look like humans. But in their non-human form in a vision, I mean, they look... Very strange. Crazy. Yeah. Now, that's one of my wife's favorite verses. She, she, Her whole dream is to find out that she entertained angels and never knew it. Yeah. That's like she go, wants to go to heaven and find out that somehow mm. one of those moments that's in her life that, that yeah. she, she got that, that, which I think is sweet. Very. Yeah. So from there, we can move into classification of angels um, because there are uh, different categories. And the first one we're going to deal with is the moral category. So you have the holy or elect angels, um, which seems to be an apparent reference to those who are considered unfallen. So what you want to read the uh, Mark passage? Yeah, Mark 8.38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... The Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So there we've got the holy angels and then next one for uh, the elect or chosen. First Timothy 5.21, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. And, and this is why I think those two passages are kind of like why we tend to not realize how often angels are present because they're just kind of tucked in there with a bigger point. But they're just hanging around doing their thing. and Always there. Yep. Um, So these are the holy or the elect angels as they're called. And so their abode or the place they live is in heaven. You see Matthew 28, 2, Mark 12, 25, among others. And primarily the third heaven. Um, And so, of course, this is where Christ resides. Biblically, you have the first heaven, which is the sky where the birds fly. Then the Bible describes the second heaven as the outer space, sun, moon, and stars. And then there's that third heaven where Christ resides. And this is actually where Paul 
was taken up into paradise in Second Corinthians chapter 12. Um, but they, these angels have access though to all three of these heavens and then including the earth. And we see that in Revelation 19.1. And then you, you get into the, the exact opposite, not the holy angels, but now we have the fallen angels. And again, you have uh, two groups of these types of angels. Uh, the first are those which are said to be bound. And these are very fascinating passages, but we'll just, uh, Lena, if you want to read the second Peter one. Sure. Uh, two, four. For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment. So the passages in second Peter two, four, that's what we just read. Jude 6, Revelation 19, verse 11 and 14. Those are some very fascinating ones. Um, and, you, and so you have some angels, they did something. We would argue that this is where Genesis 6 comes into play, but okay. uh, that they did something that was so heinous that beyond just being cast out of heaven, they were literally put into bondage yeah. and, and all. And then you have the other side of that coin, uh, those who are, or which are said to be free. And so uh, in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the wa against the world forces of this darkness. Is that right? Yep. Okay. <laughs> against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Here's your sticker. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have the, the angels bound up. Uh, and obviously they're in, held in a type of prison, but then we're also actively at war against this yeah. demonic presence. Uh, and so those are the ones that we would call free, yeah. even though it's not you, the word free is not there. They're obviously free yeah. because they're they're seeking to do us harm. Now in Second Peter, when it says that Jesus went and preached to the spirits, do you have an opinion on that? Do you think it's uh, he went and preached to these bound? Mm -hmm. um, Angels? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think we even get into it um, later on in, when we get into the demons, I think we... Oh, yeah, probably. Um, so then the question that some people have is funny. My Lydia asked me, my wife, what, what we were talking about tonight, and I said angels. And her first question was, so can angels fall today? Can they still fall? Mm -hmm. And I said, funny you say that because we talk about that. <laughs> and then she was met with this disappointing answer. The scriptures are basically silent <laughs> on that. But yeah, I mean, so on the question, can they still fall? We, we don't really know. And there's that one reference in Revelation 12, 4, and it's a, a passing reference, somewhat obscure oh, yeah. to the, the dragon swiping his tail, causing a third of the stars to fall from heaven. And we talked last time about how stars are a reference to angels. Mm -hmm. Um the interpretational challenge with that passage is is that it's not dated, um, the passage itself. And so in large measure, it, it um, how you understand it's going to be a function of how you approach the book of Revelation. Right, and that's huge. Yes. Yeah. So so some viewed as future, you know, if you're a futurist, some viewed as a reference to what happened long ago. Um, and so it's a, it's a debated passage in eschatology. And so it's difficult to be certain if you take one of the non-futuristic approaches to revelation, likely it happened in past. Right. So if it's, if you're holding to a preterist post-mill, so millennial yeah. position, that's, 
where you're going to land. Yeah. If you're a historicist, and if you don't know what these terms mean, it's not a big deal. But if you're a historicist, it may be evidence they can still fall today because it's this, it depends what kind of historicist you are. But that revelation is just kind of continuing on in the secular, circular or cyclical, cyclical pattern. There you go. Um, and so then that would apply to just at any point in time. If you take a futuristic approach, then it appears that this will be a yet future time in which a third of heaven's angels fall. Right. So right there you have three different positions based upon how you're going to be approaching Revelation. So yeah. behind all that is always the deeper issue of your hermeneutics, of how, how you understand to interpret. Yeah. Um, but in the end, we just don't know for certain. Right. So that's... So, so then you have the hierarchy, um, and this is always a little interesting if, if you really get deep into it because of uh, archangels right. and, and yeah. how people understand that. But you have the traditional beliefs with archangels, um, guys like Origen, which I never like quoting Origen because that man just annoyed me. Have you ever read any of his stuff? Well, yeah, a little bit. He, he's, he's where... Uh, the whole allegorical approach to the Bible came from, and you can trace now. All our we're problems. <laughs> yes, actually, in so many ways, yeah. He's and, pretty creative, though, in like the parables. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the word we're using, creative. <laughs> All right. Yeah, sure. Uh, but anyhow. I mean, I couldn't um, come up with it. Yeah, well, I don't think it, it makes you wonder if he's smoking something. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, some early fathers like Origen, um, argue that there were three archangels, uh, but then you get into Roman Catholic sure, theology yeah. and they argue that there are seven. And the way they get that is they get seven from the seven churches of Revelation and the seven lampstands and the, and the lamb with seven horns, eyes, and spirits of God. And so they, they go from there. They also go into the apocryphal mm -hmm. literature. Um, like Tobit twelve fifteen, which we won't read. And so they actually have their names too, uh, Michael, Raphael, Gabriel, Uriel, among others. Um, Raphael, uh, like yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I never watched that. Mm. Or The Painter. I was old even then, probably middle-aged back then. <laughs> Anyhow. Oh, <God. laughs> Just really struggling on that one. Huh? Yeah, I'm just going to have to get a walker pretty soon. Uh, regarding the Protestant view, uh, there is no official position. However, many will conclude that there's yeah. only one archangel because that's all the Bible ever tells us. Yeah. Um, Michael, that at the very least, all you can say is there's one um, yeah. at, with absolute certainty. Some will say originally two because they're going to say Michael and Lucifer. Mm. Um which we're going to argue is not even a proper name for Satan. But, <laughs> right. Um, and then we, we see this term for him being the archangel in passages like 1 Thessalonians 4.16 or Jude 1.9. And both passages speak of Michael, the archangel, mm -hmm. uh, meaning you have that definite article of the, uh, and the implications there is only one. Right. Not a... a uh, the indefinite aspect of mm -hmm. yeah. and just archangels, right? Archangel. Right. Um, so some of the biblical data on this. Uh, obviously, Michael is an archangel. He's explicitly re referred to in those passages: First Thessalonians four sixteen, Jude one nine. Um, his name 
if you care, means <laughs> who is like God. I always like that name. Yeah. Yeah, free, free factoid, if you didn't know, in the names in the Bible, if you ever have the E-L in it, Elijah or Gabriel. Michelle. It, yeah. yeah, it's, it's referring to God, something yeah. about God. Yeah, El, Elohim, right. Then you have Gabriel. Gabriel. Um, he's never technically called an archangel, um, but his associations and descriptions um, and the descriptions about him suggest that he may be one. Um, and Gabriel, if you care, means strong man of God. Um, so it, it's hard to be dogmatic on this stuff, but it seems that there were likely, um, well, Michael for sure, but potentially two, um, Michael and Gabriel. And you don't mess with them. Mm -mm. Not at all. And we'll see why next time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then you also have these uh, this very unique class or set of uh, angels. They're special attendants. Um, so you have biblical references like cherubim, which may mean little. It's not clear. Don't think cherubs in your head right now. Little fat yeah. babies with yeah. harps on clouds. Yeah, and wearing horrible. a diaper. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Uh, it has nothing to do with their reference of their size, but their ranking. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have seraphim, um, comes from the Hebrew root seraph, which means to burn. And so these are the burning ones. And then in the Old and New Testament, you have this um, description of ones who are called the living creatures, which is incredibly mm -hmm. mysterious, especially because it's coming out of Ezekiel mm -hmm. and Revelation, which are yeah, crazy books. Right, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, and then in an important reminder on this when you're talking about this stuff, um, as we mentioned, is that all three of these classes, the cherubim, seraphim, and living creatures are all the result of visions. Mm -hmm. um, right. And so, so the nature of symbolic and apocalyptic language should be taken into consideration. Um, so for instance, you got like Isaiah chapter six, which is a vision. I mean, he's brought up into the throne room and there's the seraphim, the burning ones as they're called. Um, and they, they're described as having six wings. Um, and those six wings are functioning to say something about the angel's responsibility before the Lord in a symbolic manner. Um, so it may be a physical description, um, but what it's communicating at the very least is their role before their creator. Um, so for instance, with, with two wings are said to cover their face, um, that not even these burning ones can look upon the holiness of God, lest they be burned up. Mm. Um, so it's communicating there's something about the purity of God's otherness to even what are the, the these sinless creatures. That's just right. bizarre to me. They're Amazing. calling him holy, 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 yet they're sinless, but somehow he's but, still other from them. They don't get yeah. to look. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, it's actually an incredibly powerful image once you yeah. start realizing what's going on there. That, And then you understand why Isaiah says, woe is me, yeah. for I'm a yeah. sinful man. Undone. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, you know, then you got the two wings that cover their feet, which of course signifies that they don't express an autonomous will, but they only serve at the pleasure of God. Mm. Uh, with two, they're said to then fly. Um, in that vision, only God is sitting on the throne in the middle of the throne room. And so he's the very center of the vision. And so the fact that you have these seraphim flying around is showing that they're, they're yielding at all times in service to God. Mm. Um, but the point is it, it's, it's highly symbolic, but having said that we don't have to conclude though, that it's, it's not literal because it doesn't say. Right. In that sense. 
In um, fact, we shouldn't land either way. It's It could be. We're not sure. Heaven will answer that for us, right. Um, so when, when dealing with symbolic literature, um, two extremes should be avoided. Uh, you have to avoid the idea that language has no reality connected to it. So the Mary Baker Eddie quote, you know, <laughs> angels are simply beautiful thoughts. How nice. Um, it just sounds like <laughs> something that I would see on somebody's refrigerator. Yeah. I don't know. On a magnet. Yeah. Bizarre. Um, but on the other hand, we shouldn't feel the need to dogmatically conclude that everything must be taken concretely exactly as pictured. So avoid those two extremes right, when right. you're in symbolic and, stuff. And again, so we made the point twice, but I'll just throw it one more time. When you're looking, if it's a vision, then you can hold it a little bit more loosely because it may contain symbolic language um, versus a descriptive um, narrative. narrative yeah. Now, now we have something very different, and we need to take that for what it says. Yeah. Um, so, there's also significant associations when talking about these classes of angels. The cherubim are associated with the living creatures. Um, so we see a biblical connection with them. The the prominence of their eyes are described with both classes. Um, their faces are quite similar. The exception. The exception is the way uh, the four faces are described between Ezekiel's vision and John's vision, but it's a minor one. So it's possible that there's some connection with them in some way because yeah. they're so similar. They're described similarly. Um, but then you turn around and you find the cherubim associated with the seraphim. And then you find the seraphim associated with the living creatures. Uh, so uh, both are said to have six wings. Both are said to cry out, holy, holy, holy. And so you have all this overlap, or at the very least, some kind of an association with these various kinds of angels. So again, it's it's not the place that you want to get real dogmatic. You want right. to see right. those similarities and say, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so some quick conclusions then on just these classes here. There's no reason to assume that any of these these beings, the, the cherubim, seraphim, the living creatures, there's no reason to assume that they should be placed in a special class of creatures apart from angels. Right. Um, they're simply spiritual beings who function to serve God. Um, as we said, there seems to be some common functional features to them. They, they all seem to be attendants or guardians in the very presence of, of God. And they seem to have co-responsibility in leading all of creation and worship somehow. Uh, if you go back and read those passages. So there's a lot of overlap in their functions, you know, the, in those classes, but the Bible does label them differently. And so they should be understood as being distinct somehow. Um, but they're not a different category than angel. Right. They're all spiritual beings who serve at the pleasure of God. Right. Uh, so then you also have the Bible speak of angels with other types of uh, designations. So you have Thranoi uh, in Colossians 1.16. It's, uh, a term emphasizing their possible influence over thrones, dominions, mm. and sovereignties. Um, they're called the... Uh, how, uh, curiates. Yeah, curiates. Again, in uh, Colossians 1.16, speaking of their ruling power, their lordship, the dominions that they have, uh, Arche uh, or Archai, uh, Romans 8.38 and Ephesians 3.10. This is a reference to their ruling powers, their official powers, and then finally, dunamis, which is an explicit reference to their powers. So all of those are 
non-standard, what you would not expect to be used for the word angel, but they're referencing them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... um, I guess I should finish that, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like mine. I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a finely tuned machine tonight. So, so there's multiple terms. They're used to speak of angels, but the point to understand is that they're described by their power, their influence, and the work among the various rulers and powers and forces within God's creation. And that's important. So it seems to, uh, this seems to be one of their unique functions in God's purposes. They, they have this uh, unique power and responsibility over the ruling dimensions of God's creation. Yeah, yep. So that's probably enough. Uh, there's, there's plenty here to chew on. N- next time we'll talk about various functions and ministries and roles in particular. And we'll talk about, you know, the idea of territorial angels. That one's interesting to me. Yes. Um, as well as things like guardian angels. But until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation, let us know what you think, and don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review, and tell all your friends. See you.